This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Asset management and infrastructure solutions provider UEM Agenta achieved record revenues in 2022, surpassing pre-pandemic levels. But the performance for the first nine months of 2023 has been less encouraging. How is Agenta leveraging on the sustainability theme to propel future growth? I find out from Shahrunizam Samsudin, the CEO of UEM Agenta at the Malaysia Pavilion in Dubai Expo City. Sharonizam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Shazana. Good to be here. So we're speaking on the sidelines of COP28, where there is a big turnout from UEM Group, including Agenta, Lestra, and Plus. Now, before we go into Agenta-specific developments, can I get a sense from you on what the group's aim is in being here in Dubai for COP28? How are you justifying the carbon emissions uh, that entail <laughs> coming all the way here? I think, first and foremost, UEM Group and Kazana in, in general you know, has pledged our future existence really to support the energy transition. Being here is not just about showing support, but being here means that we have to take action by creating meaningful partnerships um, and collaborations both domestically in Malaysia as well as internationally. It also signals the fact that we have a lot of things that we need to learn from what others are doing outside. Mm. Uh, We can't do it alone. Of course, we will take the lead from people like Petronas and Tanaga, who are generally the natural advocates for this. But I think companies like UEM being the stalwart for large um, engineering uh, project management capabilities must come into play mm. uh, to provide that awareness, to provide the ability to show results within a period of time. And so government can continue to, to build on that uh, because this is going to take, this is a long haul. It's mm. not going to be short term, right? It is a long-haul project and it is for the next generation. And that's the other thing, which I think is a side benefit, is that this is to be for the young people. I mean, the whole idea of creating this excitement is not for old guys like us to say that we're going to do this. Mm. We have to prepare the young, the next generation to take over mm. um, and to understand what that means uh, for the country. I'm going to give you a chance to you know, platform <laughs> this because okay. you've been flying the flag for sustainability for Agenta. Uh, Agenta was given two awards at the World Green and Sustainability Summit this year. Um, so tell me, how do you see this sustainability trend impacting the business of asset and infrastructure management? Why has Agenta been given the seal of approval, essentially? What are you doing right Well, I think we have to talk about it in different layers, right? I think on one layer, we started the journey with the people. You know, there's no point talking about ESG if none of my guys understand what that means to them. Um, We spent a whole year educating everyone in the company about what ESG means. Second, we then found how to work through projects and contracts that were very conventional and and work with clients to transit them into something more ESG compliant. Mm. Now, that was a difficult journey because no one wants to reprice their contracts, Mm. right? But we had to talk about the benefits of us doing it by giving them more technology insights, providing data that would show them how they would save energy, for example, how they they would reduce the consumption of water, for example, how we would treat waste, for example, how would we provide more equality, uh, more inclusiveness and diversity in our workforce? How would that benefit them? Mm. Um, and that's happened a lot in Singapore, for example, when we, we manage the hospitals, right? Um, and so, so we had to work through contract by contract to really look at how we can embed that. And I think the journey gave a lot of clients insight that we were serious. And in some extent, some of the contracts really never gave us enough margins to, to be able to do some of this stuff, but we did it anyway. Because I thought, you know, it'd be beneficial for us to start the journey now, right? 
And the last part, I think, um, we had a lot of um, creative young people in the company that wanted to advocate change from the inside. Mm. Um, and I gave them the ability to do that. Um, and that was the big change in Agenta. I mean, I, I really managed from the bottom to the middle and the middle to the top in a slightly different way than, you know, and, and I guess this is me and my tech upbringing, really, to give people a lot more voice. Mm. And then my job was to convince the shareholders <laughs> that it was the right thing to do, um, you know, changing some of the business models, our operating models. But more importantly, Shazana, Malaysia cannot be looked in isolation in relation to ESG conversations. Mm. We're part of a global compact, right? We come to Dubai, you come to Saudi, or where we operate in other parts of the world, we have to talk the same lingo. So how different then is the discussions on contract negotiations or coming up with new contracts and incorporating ESG? How different is that from the Malaysian contracts to the international contracts? Do you find that internationally they are more receptive to that? How do you compare uh, the acceptance or, or the trend or, or the progress that's being seen in this uh, in both regions? If I look sector by sector, right? And I think Malaysia is now doing it, but uh, sector by sector, let's say uh, healthcare in Singapore. Uh, progressive national wage was deeply embedded during COVID. None of the COVID-related costs was passed to the, to the contractors. The Singapore government paid, paid for that increases, mm. allowing more um, cash flow ability for the contractors to invest in technology, for example. So that was a deal. Mm. We absorbed the continued progressive minimum wage to keep the workers to run the hospitals efficiently you need to invest in technology. And we did. Mm. We invested in robotics. We invested in a lot of tech platforms that made the hospitals more efficient. So we did that. We, we pivoted because the government wanted that sort of outcome. Now, in Malaysia, of course, now we're looking at progressive minimum wage, right? But still, we need to do a lot more in terms of KPI driving the outcomes of what you want, right? Mm. Um, aside from budgets, we have to really look at how do we blend asset, deploying people and technology so that the future of public healthcare is a lot better for everyone. For other parts of the business, like say um, highway maintenance, we now have to change the way we look at routine maintenance at the highways so that one, we don't want to disrupt traffic, but two, a lot of people on the roadside or who are using the highways, they don't realize that the people who work on the highways, they're working under extreme conditions in the hot sun, mm. right? risking their lives when people are driving at 100, 120 kilometers. We provide safety aspects to protect them while people are driving. Now, all this is important for ASG, but of course, sometimes the consumers say, oh, but Chinizam, mm. you know, people are going to be stuck in a jam, for example. So we have to now create a narrative together with the government that, look, safety comes first, but not only safety, resiliency of our workforce, because if not, who's going to maintain the highways in the way that it should be maintained? Mm -hmm. Right? Because a thousand kilometers, let's say for example, plus highways, the most used highway in the entire country, it has to be maintained 24-7. And we have to make sure everyone who's working in that ecosystem has to be in that ESG envelope. Okay. That's how I look at it, right? So we're part of the same thing. We want better quality services, but we all have to adjust. That mm. means we can't drive so fast and some, you know, we've got to understand that people working by the roadside. Okay, so different sectors will look at different pieces of it Correct. and Correct. the government really needs to kind of give a clear direction and, and be on the same page in terms of the kinds and, of incentives. And we work very well with them, but we just need to get our input in and they need to create policies that will allow that to happen a lot faster. Okay. I think they're doing it. I'm speaking to Sharon Nizam Samsudin, CEO of UEM Agenta. After the break, we discuss more about their Middle East expansion. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. 
You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and with me today is Shahrunizam Samsudin, CEO of UEM Agenda. We're speaking on the sidelines of COP28 in Dubai. Now, I would like to talk about some of the deals that were announced in this particular region. I mean, sure. just a few days ago, you signed an acquisition agreement valued at 55 million ringgit for a 60% stake in um, Kaizen uh, subsidiaries. How does this acquisition align with your strategic goals and what opportunities do they present for the firm as you try to expand your presence in the Middle East? So today, um, UM Magenta has a very successful um, FM company called Operon that operates in Dubai. We've been here for 10 years, right? So largely, Operon has clients around high-end residential properties, commercial buildings. We even do golf courses here, right? But this is probably one of the most vibrant real estate property uh, markets in the world, right? Um, Kaizen provides clients that I will never get, for example, in terms of understanding um, how high net worth individuals, how certain communities want to have curated property services. Mm-hmm. Um, and so integrating property management with facilities management provides an integrated solution to the asset owners that we can manage end-to-end, B2C from the owners association right up to managing the back end of fixing your pipes, making sure the streets are clean. Mm. Um, so what's happening is that city management now, the Dubai government is also giving a lot of outsourcing contracts to third parties that have these integrated capabilities. So instead of them doing municipality services, people like us working with someone like Kaizen will mm. be able to do end-to-end a lot better. Okay. So Kaizen provides market access. Kaizen provides um, a lot more um, capability in terms of integrated solutioning. Um, and Kaizen really represents our ambition to be in this market a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about, um, can I follow up on your memorandum of business exploration that was signed with IT Max last year? And mm. I think this was to explore smart city solutions, both in the UAE and also in Saudi Correct. Arabia. I guess, what's the update on this? Are this is there any progress on, well, on projects? Well, we're looking at a, a tender right now in Qatar, um, really trying to integrate some of their products into the smart city planning. But we, we haven't stopped there. I think uh, IT Max is very specialized in traffic management systems, for example. Um, we also work with people like DisruptX, and you saw me signing with people like Tadum and um, Zaintech. Um, these are tech players that basically capitalize on IoT capabilities, which we provide together with DisruptX for their own city management and solutioning, right? Um, and so we're partnering together now to build markets around that PM plus IFM solutioning mm. as a tech company. So, so here in Dubai, and particularly in the Middle East, tech and ESG always comes first. They want to understand, do you understand if I have this sophisticated building, how do you manage it for tech and ESG for the next 10 years? Mm. I know you can do all the hard stuff. Can you tell me how you're going to do all the soft stuff? Right? And how does this data help me to get certification for green buildings? How can I show the world that this is a very effective green building? It's, it's saving 45% water, 30% electricity bill. Right, and it reduces carbon footprint by 25% on stuff that I'm doing. Mm. So I become a, a sort of a mouthpiece through my data capabilities and my technology for companies and asset owners to be able to invite investors to invest in their properties mm. or to get tenants to be in their properties. Mm. So why isn't this, why does Agenda have to go all the way to the Middle East to do this rather than doing it closer to our own backyard? Because the market is here, mm. right? Um, because the market's a lot more sophisticated. Um, and because the market is curated towards 
property buyers that are discerning about ESG. And we're not discerning yet in our neck we're of the not, woods. We're, we're, we're still, in, if you ask me, we're still in this sort of advocacy and understanding phase, right? Um, and, and I guess uh, monetary values or FDIs around this space is not yet there. It will come, I guess. But I think we, what we're trying to say is we don't want to be losing out in trying to learn, apply, mm. build capabilities while that's happening, right? Mm. Um, and I think there aren't many Malaysian companies that can be in the global conversation like us only because we tried harder, faster, earlier. Right. Not because, you know, we had it before. I mean, we, we really just put our face in front and said, well, we could do this. But actually, we had to sort of figure out how to do it too mm. and then build partnerships and, and get things done. Right? Okay. Can I follow up on um, your sustainable zero capex program that you launched in September, I think, or you allocated 100 yep. million ringgit in September through um, Opus Consultants. Talk to me about the mandate for this effort and how do you expect it to benefit the top and bottom lines going forward? So, what, we, what we've got is, um, we've done energy efficiency for a long time. We've got two registered ESCOs under, or three actually, under UM Agenda. Um, I just wanted to group it up under Opus because Opus has 400 engineers. Um, out of that 400, 100 are trained as energy commissioners, energy efficiency specialists, right? So I wanted to build scale. Now, we put our own money there to basically fund the CAPEX so that companies can embark on green building transition now, right? So do it now. Mm. We, we put up all the equipment. We do the retrofits. Um, then from the savings, which is then audited by ST, um, we then share the savings, right? Um, and it could be, you know, paid back within five years or seven years, but, but everything is audited. So it is, it's a science, mm. right? Um, so, so people get to see what they're actually paying for. So amongst the buildings that are already beneficiary for, for our previous fund includes uh, the Prime Minister's office, mm -hmm. right? So we're managing uh, Pasar Lane Prime Minister's office, including uh, where the PM sits. Um, and that is probably the most green building in Malaysia. It's platinum rated GBI. Mm. And we're managing it. Mm. Um, KLCC is another property that we're doing. We have about 16 hospitals under MOH that are either certified lead gold or lead platinum, right? So the idea is that we continue to support this gradual evolution of older buildings um, into green. Now, people say, why, why can't we make old buildings into new? Or we could. But the, the thing is, if you look at the history of Malaysia, and if you look at the hospitals that we have, for example, everything north of Perak, are all pre-colonial times, mm. right? And they've been there until today. Hospital Batu Gajah, for example, established in 1884. If you think about it, they should be a heritage or UNESCO heritage site, <laughs> right? But, but they're still operating as a very uh, important community hospital. They need to provide services. But we can't do a lot of data gathering and to help the government save money if we don't do the retrofits. And in fact, they're already at a point in time where they have to probably renovate to be able to capitalize on this new equipment. Mm. Right? I mean, I'm not talking about even tech equipment, I'm talking about even MRI, CD scan, all these sort of uh, high-tech equipment. So what we're doing is that we're, we're, not, we're not rushing into a high CAPEX program. What we're saying is, look, this time is a gradual uh, sort of process, but at least we educate everyone at the same time. Mm -hmm. Government sees the value, right? Then every year, they actually create new policies or they create better budgets and eventually we'll get there. I like the narrative that you're putting out, Nizam. I think there's a lot of good work that UAM Agenda is doing um, in this ESG, using ESG and sustainability. But if we take a look at how this has been impacting your financials, at least for this year, it hasn't been looking um, too great. I think 2022 was a record year for UEM Agenda. Uh, your revenue growth reached uh, 
all-time highs, surpassing even pre-COVID levels. But looking at your bottom line revenue growth for the last three quarters of this year, I think they seem to be pretty disappointing versus street numbers. Yes. So what do you think is, what is what accounts for that? Well, uh, two things, right? One is that um, pre-COVID, um, we were operating on old minimum wage. Post-COVID, all our wages have gone up by 50%. Okay, so labor costs are big. So one labor costs as well, mm. right? No, I'm not making excuses, but I'm just saying that that's the new normal, right? Um, second, um, global supply chain disruptions have created a higher cost for consumables um, to execute work, right? Um, vendors um, that existed pre-COVID didn't exist during COVID. Some have continued post-COVID, but a lot of it are new. So basically, all of them have to be retrained, new pricing, new contracts, right? Now, what does that mean for us? If I don't grow my top line internationally, it's very difficult for me to continue to build on numbers that are existingly within Malaysia. Although we are going through a massive cost restructuring and we're trying to see how we can optimize things. But global expansion gives us a good inroad into how we can pivot our people as well. Right, um, and so that's that's one of the reasons why the top line remains healthy. Now, the good mm. thing about top line, although the the stalwarts or the hardcore accountants in my company don't really like to talk to me about this, but good thing about top line is that as long as your top line growth is good, and you can see in the third quarter result, top line grew another fourteen percent. It means that the international community believe in our story and still want to give us work. In Singapore and Taiwan, we have ninety nine percent renewal rates. That means, despite the com- competitive landscape customers still want to be with us, Mm. right? Um, Because we push and we build upon the the global narratives of ESG and tech, right? Mm. Now, but in the same time, we continue to find new avenues to grow that margin by doing other stuff. So if you look in in the market globally now, FM companies like us are becoming like logistics companies. We're supposed to do everything. Mm. And hopefully, and particularly in markets like this, they pay for different types of services. They just want someone to deal with it, right? So, so we do a lot of logistics works here in Dubai, for example. Mm. Um, not just deploying people, but sorting out um, events, making sure that we, we set up the structures like marquees and, and getting all the service providers together. Those are going to be part of our scope, which mm. is why Kaizen is important because we now have to have someone who understands how to curate customer experience in a deeper fashion. I see. Right? So, so I think there's a lot of work to be done in Malaysia in terms of cost optimization. Sounds like a cliche, but we have to do it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I still want to uphold that, that level of, of wages so that we can continue to build on what has happened in COVID. Mm. We can't regress. So we have to convince our clients to sort of uh, pick up some of the cost as well. You did speak about the progressive wage model earlier and the government's looking to implement this. I guess, do you see that as, the, as an impediment? I mean, is this ultimately going to hit you? Oh, when it's a big it does- deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. I mean, I won't, I won't, I won't sugarcoat it. It is a big deal. Uh, but we've got to deal with it, right? Um, so if you look at the last three years' results, um, it's been cushioned by the higher growth in revenue. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have the revenue, it would have been worse. Okay, so that right. is part of your strategy. Correct. You have to make sure to keep growing because, that top line. You know, to be honest, um, from a corporate point of view, there are many levers in terms of cutting costs. Mm-hmm. You know that. But what's important to me, what I saw during COVID when I stayed at this company, and the hardship that my people went through, I'm not going to let them go through uh, a situation where we're not protecting their minimum wage or not advocating for a better life for them. Mm. We have to do more. We have to be able to provide that. And what, but what we're saying is, let's work together with the government and find a way for us to do this, right? 
Um, you know, I mean, Malaysia, for example, we employ more than 7,000 people. And mostly are Malaysians, mm. right? Mm. So I take that seriously as well. So I have a very difficult job in balancing um, what the needs of the shareholders are, but also the larger community needs as well. Current order book stands at 9.2 billion ringgit, which is impressive. But um, how long is that going to last? Well, till 2040. And how does your replenishment look like? Slow. It used to be a lot more aggressive, right? So I think um, domestic replenishment um, is probably accounting probably 15% of all order book. International replenishment is strong. Okay. So, like this year and last year, almost 85% of our replenishment is coming from Singapore and Taiwan. Um, so, and that's testament to the renewal rates that we're getting, but also testament to the work that we're doing in those markets. Mm. We've been talking about the potential headwinds in Agenta's way. Is there any risk to the dividend payout commitment of 50 to 80% if you see earnings continue to deteriorate regardless of top-line growth? It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so, so I think I think management is still committed to the dividend policy, and I think we will keep to that. Um, it's getting more challenging, I, I, I must admit. But I think so far so good. You know, I think I think for us, you know, we always need to have a balance between making sure that our shareholders get the dividend return, and and for us to continue as a company. <laughs> Over the last few years, the visibility of the stock has been on a declining trend. I yeah. think at present, there are only two analysts who cover UAM Agenda with a target price of, of about a ringgit and four sen. Um, they both, they're both calling a hold due to disappointing earnings. Do you think that they're missing something? You know, it's a good point. I mean, uh, you know, this is a debate that we're having also um, at the management level, whether, you know, a lot of the analysts are looking at us as a domestic stock, domestic dividend stock backed by domestic concessions when today almost 55% of the business is international. Um, and perhaps I need to do a lot more to educate everyone about what that means in terms of borderline uh, impact because it's not seen yet in the earnings, right? Um, so I think it, it's going to happen as we get past all the acquisitions and we bet things down. Um, there'll be more earnings accretiveness, I guess, to our bottom line. Nizam, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Shazana. I've been speaking to Shahrun Nizam Samsudin, CEO of UEM Agenda. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.